to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 9, Thor's Hammer. This is another good one. This is definitely another one that's like in the top Season 1 episodes. I had not really remembered this episode until I rewatched it and I was like, oh my god, I'm so excited that we get to talk about this one. Because it's totally one of the ones that is supposed to be about the character building of the main characters. But if you watch it from the perspective of the people on the planet, (laughs) they get screwed. Yeah. Which comes back later. (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll we'll be back on this planet in a future episode. Mm. So we'll see. Yep. Uh, So, but for now, so this is Thor's hammer. It originally aired on September 26th, 1997. It was written by Catherine Powers, the writer of Emancipation, and it was directed by Brad Turner. Do we know if this was then another one where she just stole from a Star Trek episode? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. But, you know, as everybody says, there's no original ideas anymore. So there could be another episode of another sci-fi show that is similar to this. But... Not obviously like Emancipation was, at least. All right. So this episode, O'Neill and Tilk are trapped in an underground labyrinth and must fight for their lives against Unas, the original Gaul host. And so, like you mentioned last week, while I was watching this week on Netflix, there was a nudity warning when this episode started. So I think it must just be something that's like either on the season or like on the series because there's that one episode that has nudity. Oh, so it's a blanket. It seems to be, yeah. Like blanket a blanket rating for the whole thing. Yeah. We'll have to see when we start season two, if it's still there or not, but it seems to at least be present for season one. <laughs> so now people out there are going to be watching every episode going, where's my nudity? Sorry, there is none. Just go watch Aww. the pilot again. Let's go watch Man. Children of Gods. That's where your nudity is. Fine. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so in this episode, we open in the briefing room where Daniel is presenting a new theory about the Stargate. He's apparently been studying myths from all around the world and has discovered there's basically two types of gods involved in these ancient myths. There are like the tyrants who ruled through dominance and fear, like the Gould, and then those that he calls culture bearers who use their knowledge and power for the betterment of humans. So those who used knowledge and power for evil and those who used, who used knowledge and power for good. And so this is where we first get the theory from Daniel that the Gould didn't build the Stargate system. And Hammond is like Pikachu shocked face, like at this news, this revelation that the Gould didn't build the Stargate. They just took advantage of it, keeping in line with their sort of general parasitic nature. Daniel thinks that there might be some of these good gods still out there. And who does he think these good gods are? The Vikings. Well, not not the Vikings, but like the gods, the Vikings worship like Thor. So Daniel explains that Thor was a friend to humans and protected them from the Etans, which may be what the Norse word for Gould is. And he also thinks that Thor's hammer could boss possibly be some sort of like advanced energy weapon so this is where we start getting more ancient cultures as aliens which i think is cool and i like aliens this also could probably compensate a lot for the fact that we've talked many times about how isn't it weird how on different planets they're not all you know egyptian but we get different 
kind of eras of Earth on other planets. And it's yeah. weird. Yes. So which it's that start to blend that a little bit. Yeah. And that's probably one of the things that led Daniel to probably start doing the research. If, you know, the initial assumption was just raw and Egyptian gods, but then we started meeting like Greek gods and, you know, Greek civilizations, then what else is there? And as Jack says, if there are other beings out there that may have also been enemies of the Gould, it might very well be worth trying to look them up and find out if they're still out there. So Tilk mentions that he has seen the symbol of Thor's hammer, because sort of up on Daniel's presentation screen, there is an image of Thor's hammer um, on a world called Samaria, and that it is forbidden for any gold to go there. Apparently something really awful happened sometime in the past, but like nobody talks about it anymore. So guess where SG-1 is going on their next mission? Yay! Okay. Free so. Snack. I started researching Cimmeria and I found something very interesting. So Cimmeria is supposed to be a Norse planet. From what I can tell, ancient Cimmerians have nothing to do with like Scandinavian Norse culture at all. Oh, really? Yes. So Cimmeria is most likely an ancient name for the region in like Eastern Europe that's now known as Crimea, which is that peninsula that's sort of like on the northern Black Sea sort of like southern Ukraine, Georgia, like that whole area. Okay. Um, the Cimmerians were most likely driven out of southern Russia by the Scythians toward the end of the 8th century BC, most likely then settling near the Caucasus Mountains in what's now Georgia. But that's kind of like all we know about them culturally and like their origin, like that's it. Um, Linguistically, they're often thought to be Thracian, which is uh, the name for people from around the Baltic Sea or possibly Iranian. One theory identifies them with what archaeologists call the catacomb culture. And this is a culture that was ousted from southern Russia by the Srubna people uh, who came from the Volga region in Russia at the same time that the Cimmerians were ousted by the Scythians. So they're sort of like the Srubna people coming into where the Scythians were and the Scythians were shoving the Cimmerians out. But apparently that whole thing took place in the second half of the second millennium BC. So there's still a bit of a gap of several centuries between that and when ancient Cimmerians sort of first become known in Asia. Some authorities identify them with Thraco-Cimmerian remains, Thraco meaning Thracian, um, that were found in southwestern Ukraine and Central Europe um, from the 8th and 7th centuries BC, and that those people might be sort of descendants of the, the Cimmerians who then traveled west and invaded like the Hungarian plain and lived there until about 500 BC. That's Cimmeria in our reality. Cimmeria is also mentioned in the Odyssey as the land at the end of the world just before Homer enters the underworld. He passes through Cimmeria and then into the underworld. And Cimmeria is also the fictional country that was created by Robert E. Howard that is the home of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> but in all of that <laughs> of all research... all the Cimmerias, it's also Conan the Barbarian. It's also Conan the Barbarian. So I was like, okay, so... What was Co but Conan? There's like no Norse gods in like Conan mythology, so I'm completely stumped as to why this Norse planet with Norse gods and Norse people is called Cimmeria when Cimmeria has nothing to do with Norse culture. Maybe somebody knew someone that was named Cimmeria and they're like, hey, that sounds like a really great name for a planet. Yeah, I bet there's more to it, but I'm gonna ignore that completely and make my own planet. 
Yeah, it's like, does somebody just hear that name and be like, oh, that sounds cool and not go any further than that sounds like a cool name? Because Good, it, really, yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't, this, this place should not be named Cimeria. It has nothing to do with anything Norse, but it is. So we're just going to have to deal with it. And I'm going to try and forget. Be pronounced differently. I don't know. It's C-I-M-M-E-R-I-A. Cimeria. Maybe, maybe it's Chimeria. But even the spelling is, I don't, you I know. I don't even know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to help the writers and it's not working. It's not working. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so she runs off to Cimeria. And while Eshiwan is in the gate room waiting for, you know, the gate to be dialed, Hammond comes in and gives Jack a box with a gift for hopefully Thor, if we should meet him. And uh, Daniel's like, oh, great, you had it made. Apparently this was made by the Sagan Institute and explains sort of all about Earth and our cultures and religions and histories as like a sort of greeting to friendly alien cultures, which is kind of cool and never comes into play ever again. I'm imagining in the box is like, it makes me giggle every time. I imagine it's like a VHS tape in there. I know. It's like, what's like what's in there? Like, like how like, can you possibly communicate to people about all of our culture in this I tiny know. box? It's like the, like the lid I get, the lid has like, you know, the point of origin symbol for Earth and very sort of basic drawings of human people on Earth. But yeah, like what, what is in it and how would it communicate? <laughs> in the time capsule to alien cultures but there's sort of a very small goof in this scene kind of so um there's a fred on the ramp while the gate is waiting to be dialed but it is like way too close to the gate and would like actually probably be vaporized once like the kawoosh goes because it's like way too close up on the Um, ramp but you know we don't see it it doesn't happen so apparently not movie Um, magic so gate styled everybody goes through and we're on the alien planet and we sort of pan up a large stone monument with carvings on it. Then they kind of look like lightning bolts. And the whole thing is basically a very large Thor's hammer, basically, is what it looks like. And there's some people walking by the gate with like a cart when it activates. One of them runs off, probably to go get somebody of authority. And then for some reason, SG-1 is like, hurled through the gate like they picked up speed somehow traveling from earth to cimeria like they like tumble like head over heels and like somersault down the stairs it's very i why why and how did this happen i'm very confused i noticed that too that that's like something they did in the first episode like yeah. you're like you're being thrust so fast you get just shot out the other end and then yeah. they never did again and then this time they were like let's make it more fun yeah <laughs> so um but like the people that are there like start laughing at sg1 which is very different from any other greeting that sg1 has had you know when there have been people like around the gate before so like i thought that was kind of fun that they're just sort of like pointing and laughing like ah look at the stupid people um and then they start chanting thor 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 so apparently we're in the right place there's english well thor is just a name but I mean, yes, everybody speaks English in this universe, as we know. So then a loud, like, kind of, like, humming, like, deep, like, low humming noise starts coming from the monument, it seems like. And Jack orders Daniel to dial the gate back home. And Jack's like, why? He's like, just dial the gate. Like, obviously, this is not going to be a good thing. And so while Daniel's doing that, a beam of light or a beam of some sort comes out and lands on Daniel and it seems to like basically be scanning him 
because then it moves off of Daniel over to Sam and then to Jack and then it gets to Tilk who like doubles over in pain and is something is happening like this isn't just a scanner like it's actually doing something Jack goes to try to like shove Tilk out of the beam but then the two of them get like zapped away somewhere so the rest of the locals run off and Daniel and Sam are just left there standing being very confused about what just happened I I also wondered to myself like if that was if that was the main you know shield or weapon or you know protectant thing against mm-hmm. uh, Gould that show up on the planet like what would have happened if like twenty of them show up at once and just start running around? That yeah, thing it, advanced it, enough to go get them. Yeah, I don't know. Are? Yeah, because it it sort of went one by one. It didn't seem to be, just be like scan the whole area. It was scan this person and then that person and then. I don't and know. It, and it wasn't really fast. It was like you had no. to wait for it to get to you. Yeah. So what would you do if you just ran away? Yeah. I don't know if it, yeah, if it would track you or what. I don't know. But. I did. I had that thought, though. Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. What do you guys think if 20 ghoul came through? Would, like, one of them get zapped away and the other 19 are fine? So we after the credits, we come back to Cimmeria, and Daniels says that he thinks the monument is Thor's hammer, and he's like, I think they're dead. And Sam's like, does not want to hear that at all. She's like, okay, let's go back to earth. Let's get another SG team. We'll start a search of the planet, which sounds reasonable to me. I think that's a good plan when you don't know what's happened. And there's only two of you left. You need backup. So go get backup. Um, But before they can do that, the locals arrive and with them is a woman on horseback. She comments that they're a little short for gods, which is that like a Star Wars thing? Like you're a little short for a stormtrooper? Do you think that's is a that little a Star Wars Is that a Star Wars joke? Yeah, when Luke and Han go to rescue Leia and they open the thing and Luke's like, I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you. And she's like, you're a little short for a stormtrooper. Oh, I did not remember that. I didn't know that was one of the lingering things. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It could be. It could be a nod. So, but she thinks that Sam and Daniel are from Thrudvang, Thor's home in the stars. Sam's like, yeah, I, she doesn't really quite know how to say no, but she introduces herself and Daniel and this woman introduces herself as Garwin and she is the mistress here. So luckily we're actually getting names of people this week when we encounter them, which is good. Sam then brings up the issue that two of their party got taken away and Garen's like, oh, they're ghouled. You tricked them to come here so you could be rid of them. And Sam and Darren are like, no, they're friends. They're human. They're not Ettons. They're humans. And Garen is surprised that Sam and Daniel are human. And Daniel explains that they came from Midgard. And this makes her very, very happy because that means Sam and Daniel are family because Midgard is Earth in North mis- Norse mythology. During this opening scene, we've also been getting the like sort of the rest of the opening credits and we get what is probably the biggest guest star Stargate has ever had and will ever have James Earl Jones as the voice of Unas. I was listening to this episode until I watched at like 10 minutes in. And then when I heard that voice, I was like, is it what it get? It is. It is. Could it be? And I had to look it up to confirm, but yeah, that, that's yeah. pretty exciting. I know. Uh, Daniel asks Garwin if she knows how Thor's hammer works, and she does not. She does say that Thor would not want to like kill. Like that's most likely they're not dead. Like Jack and Tilka are probably still alive because Thor's not going to just kill straight out. That's not going to be his first thing that he does. 
She doesn't know where they might be, but there is a woman called Kendra who might know. Again, more names. Yay. She came through the gate 10 seasons ago and was taken by Thor's hammer and was later found wandering in the mountains. So Garwin offers to take Sam and Daniel to see Kendra and they're like, yes, please. Thank you. That would be great. We cut to a dark cave with Jack and Tilk and they seem to have been knocked unconscious during the transport of the beam to wherever they are. Tilk checks on his symbiote and says it's fine, but the beam caused a great pain. So it'll recover, but it's apparently not super happy right now. Then there's this like whooshing noise and Thor appears. He's like this tall dude with like reddish hair and very, very stereotypical Viking armor. And he says the following, I am Thor, Supreme Commander of the Asgard fleet. The High Council of Asgard has designated Cimmeria a safe world for developing sentient species by unanimous decree era 40.73.29. The Gould system lords were so informed. There's a lot of sort of like technical jargon in this greeting. There seems to be, even though Tilk previously said there's no sort of like governing body for the Gould in a previous episode, there does seem to be some sort of governing body of alien species because there's like a decree and the Gould system lords were informed of this decree. I'm like... like I did like seeing a huge Viking be like, by 40.20. (laughs) Yes. So we're getting some more sort of like little tidbits of information about how the rest of the the universe within the Stargate system works, which is interesting. And just develops the world a bit more out of just the strictly what is like shown on TV. Jack replies that we're not ghouled. Yes, Tilt carries one, but it's not really his decision. And Thor continues on that due to their crimes as a ghoul, the punishment is death. And Jack walks closer to Thor and says that we came here to see you and kind of swings his gun and it passes just right through Thor. So this isn't actually Thor. This seems to just be a hologram recording kind of thing. And Thor goes on to explain that this cave is a prison and that gold weapons don't work. They will have sustenance, but nothing else. How slash where does this sustenance come from? Like what, like what sustenance is he referring to? That they will be provided with sustenance, but nothing else. Oh my, I don't know. They Like they never like find like a stash of food anywhere in their wanderings. So I'm like. Well, yeah, but they don't really stay that long. No, but I mean. They, How long are they supposed to be in there? A couple days, maybe? A day? I don't know. We'll get there once Kendra comes in. You're we'll supposed have to, to, like, lick the walls? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, and then he concludes his greeting with, when you tire of this existence, go to the Hall of Mjolnir and face the hammer. There is no escape. Only the host can leave this place alive. This is basically a giant trap for the Gould. And if Tilk were to attempt to leave, it would kill his symbiote. And Tilk tries to tell Jack, you know, you leave, I'll be fine in the cave, you know, you go get out, then you can like, figure out what you need to do to get me out and then come back and get me. And Jack's like, no, that's not, I'm not going to leave you behind because Jack's that kind of guy. So they just need to find the Hall of Mjolnir and then they'll figure out what to do. Except that does kind of sound like an okay plan. Yeah. Go get back up and come back for me. Yeah. I'm kind of with Tilk. Like he's, you know, Thor said there'll be sustenance. He's in a cave. You know where he is because he's stuck in there. So, but I also get Jack's leave no man behind kind of things. And who knows how big this is, what's in there, whatever. I think 
they're both kind of right so far. I don't think anybody's really wrong in their decision to do what they're going to do. Right. So Garwin has led Sam and Daniel to Kendra's house, and she seems to be separated from the rest of the people that live in Samaria. And they see her sitting opposite a child, and she picks up a Gould hand device, and she holds it up to the child. And Daniel's like, no, because he thinks something very bad is going to happen. And Garwin's like, just wait, it's fine. She ends up using it to heal his broken bones. Apparently, he was playing and, like, fell out of a tree and broke his arm. And so she fixes it, which, okay, good on you. So Garwin introduces Sam and Daniel to Kendra. And even though she, like, healed the boy... And he still ran away because she used to be a ghoul. Then she shows them the scar on the back of her neck. And Sam and Daniel are all like guns up. And she's like, I'm not a ghoul anymore. It's gone. The symbiote was like expelled from her body. And she's just human again. Which this is fantastic news. This is great. If there's something on this planet that can get rid of a ghoul, that means that they can free Sharae and Skara. And this yay. Is, yay. This is like. Happy ending abound. I know. This is what they've been trying to do. Find, like, find them. Find somebody to get the ghouled out. They found where they can the ghoul, get the ghouled out, and so they just need to find Jari and Skara. And Kendra tells them that it was Thor's hammer that did it, and it is deep underground. So that's probably where Jack and Tilk are. So they need to get there, like, ASAP. Because right. they need to know where this place is so they can come back with Jari and Skara. So Jack and Tilk are walking through the caves and they find like skeletal remains by a pond. And Tilk comments that these hosts died with their symbiote still inside them. And he believes that they were killed and then eaten as the marks on the bones appear to have been made by teeth. So some kind of wild animal that you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about that. The sustenance maybe. So Jack's like, so maybe some like wild animal got in here and I don't know, but they need to find a way out. So Jack and Tilk move on. And then there's some sort of like large claw that like splashes in the waters. There's something else in there. Sam, Daniel and Garwin are sitting around the table with Kendra having like food and drinks. And she explains about what happened in the caves to her and that the removal of the Gould was very painful, but not nearly as painful as remembering all the atrocities she committed as a Gould. Uh, she explains then that Jack can walk out with any issues, but Tilk symbiote will die if he tries to leave. And then we explain that, well, Tilk is our friend, and Kendra's like, yeah, no, he's not your friend. But then the wind blows, and she's like, it's the Valkyrie telling her that Sam and Daniel are telling the truth. So, okay, she believes us and she'll help us. Which I find it very interesting that Kendra, who used to be a ghoul and knows firsthand that the whole God thing is complete garbage, seems to believe very deeply about the mythology of like Thor and the Norse and the Valkyrie and like all of that. That I, I understand her being grateful to Thor for having the thing that got the ghoul out of her, but just her... I don't know, belief in the mythology of all of that was kind of surprising to me, given who she was and what she did and what she knows and went through. I don't know. What do you think? Ooh, I didn't really. That is a really good catch that she wouldn't just be like, yeah, there's some sort of other technology going on. But I don't know. At the same time, since it's widely known that <clears throat> that the Gould steal other technologies and just use it for their own purposes 
there still is the mystery of where it all came from to them. So maybe she didn't know. Maybe she maybe she still thinks that, you know, even even though these people on the left here are a sham, this guy over here could still be the real thing. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe. That is, that is a really good point you raised. Well, thanks. I, I, I have I have those on occasion. <laughs> That's it. She's seen behind the curtain. Why is she so like, ah, oh, yes, the yes. wind blows. I believe it is Thor. Yes. If, if you assume the magic is all strings and magnets, why do you still believe in the magic? So back in the caves, Jack and Tilk enter a large hall that seems to be a more actual like structure like within the cave is not just sort of like rock walls and stuff and there's like overhead lights and columns and jack's like tilt try to shoot at that light and the staff weapon doesn't work as thor said earlier jack's gun works however because it's not a ghoul weapon it's just a stupid earth weapon that is very outdated technology apparently to the gould and the asgard and thor and everybody so the loud shot of the gun draws the attention of whatever that creature was back at the pond. And we now see his face as he looks around and it's, it's gross. It's vaguely like lizard, like with like, I don't know, pincers on his chin. It's some sort of weird turtle snake lizard predator thing, predator thing. Yes. This is the thing that's in with there. The voice of an angel. <laughs> well, he hasn't spoken yet. We'll get there. <laughs> um, an angel. So Jack hands Tilk his pistol just in case. They haven't seen the monster yet, so why is Jack concerned about giving Tilk a gun? I don't know. So then Tilk brings up the message from earlier from Thor about how only the human host could leave this place. And he then brings up that this could be useful to Scar to Skara and Shari and Jack's like, yeah, you think? Yes. So everybody's on the same page that this is a good place. We need to bring Skara and Shari here because this can help them. Then there's like some sort of like rustling or like gurgling noise and Jack jumps, but there's nothing. But we sort of cut back to the pond and the creature is no longer there at the pond. So the creature has apparently now wandered off probably to find where the big noise came from. Back at Kendra's house, she has rocks laid out in a circle and is beseeching Thor for help. She tells Sam and Daniel that they must sit in the circle with her and wait for a sign from Thor. And Sam seems like super thrilled about this. She's like, <sighs> is that how you would be? You think like, okay. I mean, I, a little bit, I wouldn't be as obvious about it, but I'd be like, okay. But Daniel also, I'm kind of with Daniel in this bit where he's like, she's probably a little scared to go back to this place considering like what happened there. So let's just like, let's be supportive be helpful and like you know help her through this thing so while they're sitting there in the circle daniel asks her about her life before being taken as a host she says she was a beautiful child which on jibana is a bad thing because apparently you know the gould want perfect beautiful hosts and daniel asks what happened so kendra says marduk discovered our secret and raided the temple where they tried to hide me what secret i wish we got a little more out of this um, no. And then she continues, like, because of my training in the temple, what training? Uh, the Gould who took possession of my body could not completely take control over my mind. A part of me myself remained. 
And Daniel again says is something he said earlier in the previous episode, something of the host survives. So that's another piece of good news for us as far as Shari and Scar are concerned, because previously we've been told once the ghoul takes over, basically the human part is like dead and gone. But Kendra remembers everything from pre her pre ghouled days. So again, good news for us. But again, just like, what secret, what training, what's the temple, like what, like what, how, I, I wish we got more of when, this. How, who, where are you from? Who, what, like what, were, like what were they training for, to do, to like resist ghouled, capture, take, like what, what, it, what is the secrets and the training? I want to know. It to me like they were a culture that was like, all right, so we can't fight you. We know this is going to happen. We're just going to try our best to resist as much as we can. So it, it sounded like they were a culture that knew they couldn't, you know, win physically, so they were right. going to win mentally. Okay. Which the impression that I got. Yeah. But I just want more specifics. <laughs> you could make it up yourself. Where is it? <laughs> Maybe. Well, Where is it to you? I don't know. Well, I did some research on Marduk. Do you know anything about Marduk? No. Okay. So Marduk was a late generation god from the ancient Mesopotamia region and a patron deity of the city of Babylon. When Babylon became the political center of the Euphrates Valley in the time of Hammurabi, which is about the 18th century BC, uh, Marduk slowly started to rise to the position of the head of the Babylonian pantheon of gods, a position he fully acquired by the second half of the second millennium BC. In the city of Babylon, Marduk was worshipped in the temple Esagila, and Marduk is associated with the divine weapon Imhulu. Unfortunately, I, I could not find what exactly Imhulu was, but it was the weapon that was used to vanquish Tiamat in the Mesopotamian story of creation. It's apparently very big and powerful. He, he has a symbolic animal and servant whom Marduk apparently once vanquished and then sort of like took as a pet and is a dragon called Mushusu. I was like, like Mushu from like Mulan, like Mushu, Mushusu, possibly. But this dragon is uh, a mythological hybrid with uh, like a scaly skin and hind legs resembling the talons of an eagle, lion-like forelimbs, a long neck and tail, a horned head, a snake-like tongue, and a crest on top of his head. And Mushusu means reddish snake. So it is like Mushu. Mushu, possibly. And see, the name Marduk was probably pronounced Marutuk, and the etymology of the name Marduk is conjectured conjectured to have been derived from Amarutu, meaning immortal son of Utu, or bull calf of the sun god Utu. And the origin of his name may reflect an earlier genealogy or have cultural ties to the ancient city of Sippar, whose god was Utu, uh, dating to the third millennium BC. And uh, by the Hammurabi period, Marduk had become astrologically associated with the planet Jupiter. So there you go. That's that's Marduk, who I don't think we ever hear from again on the show, even though he's apparently a fairly significant gold. But <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, he's a one-hit wonder. Yes. Apparently he just went to, what is it, Jibana? Is that her planet? Jibana, yes. Apparently that was just his place. And he just lived there and took Kendra and her people. So, the beautiful people. The beautiful children. Yes. Back to Kendra. Since she was able to keep some control of herself, she was also able to exert some kind of influence over her gold. 
And she managed to trick her into thinking that Samaria was off limits because it must hold some kind of like vast treasure for anyone who was brave enough to come take it. So they came here and all Kendra wanted was just like to like die so she could be just done with the whole ghoul thing. Instead, she managed to make it out of the labyrinth and the ghoul was taken out and she has honored Thor's ways and his people ever since. And then there's a thundercrack, and apparently this is a sign that she's been waiting for. So off they go. No question. She seems to be, like, the only one there that went through this, right? Because she's kind of an outcast there. Yes. So that seems strange to you, that there's just, like, one. Well, so based on what she said and, like, what Tilk has said, that, like, something horrible happened, and this planet is off limits from the Gould. So... Thor took it, took the people from Earth, established them in Samaria, and then it's I don't know if Thor's hammer was always there or if like a ghoul came and tried to do something and then they put Thor's hammer in, but I get the feeling that ghoul just generally don't go there ever. Or if they do, it's been a very long time and if any of them like came out of the labyrinth like Kendra they would just be normal humans, so it could have been, you know, 200 years ago, and then they, you know, would be go back dead. Home. They would, you know, live a normal human life and then die. So it may just have been enough generations since a Gould came through that by this time Kendra is the only one. Well, then here's another question. Okay. So if that's what happened, that it's been so long that pretty much nobody really remembers what happens or what it does or whatever, because you'd think that if it's been so long since... A ghoul came there and went through the whole process of getting transported and blah, blah. So how did all the people know on the planet immediately what was going to happen when they showed up? I imagine they probably have, they have their history. And st- <laughs> well, they, they get everyone have... together and they're like, okay, here's Thor's hammer. Here's, I mean, it's time, you, it's, it's time you learned about this. This is our great protector. Yeah. I mean, this does seem to be a planet where the Stargate and Thor's hammer seems to be, if not a significant part of their culture, at least something that everybody is aware of and that they know what it does. So like, it's not like off in the woods somewhere. It's not like hidden on a plateau. It's in the Valley, not too far from the village because the guy who ran away from the gate was able to come back with Gerwin in a very short amount of time. And, you know, people were just walking by there with their carts. So I imagine it's something that is just a very common part of their history so whatever happened would be in stories whether they have a written history or just an oral history that gets passed down from generation to generation do you suppose there's enough other species that go there that get scanned and they're fine that they're like oh hammer it's happening again scanning people i don't know i don't know about that one so we'll just go with yes yes (laughs) so well so far there's like the gould and thor and his people and like that's it Mm -hmm. and obviously it wouldn't affect Thor and his people because Thor built it. So, yes. All right, proceed. Sorry for the sidebar. No, that's fine. Yeah, no, I get it. It It is a little like, how is she the only one? And yeah, timelines on the show. Kind of wish we had more concrete timelines for some things. Yeah, not the best. <laughs> no. But then also leaving it not so concrete gives them wiggle room if, because we are still in the first season. So who knows what they're going to want to do in like season three. Okay, so back in the cave, Jack and Tilk are walking around, and then the creature approaches, and Tilk looks very afraid, 
and it speaks and it says, Jaffa, I am Unas, the first one. And Tilk's like, you do not exist. And he looks like really genuinely scared of this thing. Like this is like something straight out of like his nightmares or something. Um, and Jack's like, uh, what is going on? And Unas wants Tilk to kill Jack so that they can feast on Jack together. Uh, no, Tilk's like, not going to do that. I, I don't serve the Gould anymore. And Unas comes charging. Jack raises his weapon. Unas knocks Tilk out of the way. Jack opens fire. Unas falls to the ground. And Tilk feels for a pulse and he does not find one. And so Jack and Tilk continue on when Unas's eyes glow because he's a ghoul, so he's not dead. But he is James Earl Jones. He is James Earl Jones, yes, which is very cool. So here's a fun fact. Unas was a real person. What? Tell me more. So Unas was a real person. Sometimes he was called uh, Wainus or Unis. Uh, He was the ninth and last pharaoh in the fifth dynasty of Egypt during the Old Kingdom. He reigned for somewhere between 15 and 30 years, about 2345 to 2315 BC, which was a period of economic decline for Egypt. So Egypt wasn't doing great around then. Oh, boo. Um, No. Uh, He built his pyramid in Saqqara, which was the smallest of the royal pyramids from the Old Kingdom. But... It's significant in that this is the first tomb to include what archaeologists call pyramid texts. These are like writings on the inside of the pyramid that are meant to help guide the king to the afterlife. And the writings in Unas's pyramid identified him with Ra and Osiris. That is Unas. For some reason, it came to mind when you were describing the fact that his was the first one to have directions in it, that (laughs) that he was the type of king that was like, I'm going to need directions. You're going to need to write this down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to know where to go. How do I get to Cairo? Where am I going? (laughs) Um. So then we have a quick cut to Daniel, Sam, and Kendra, like, walking through the mountains. And it's it seems to take them, like, the whole rest of the day. Like, it seems to be, like, approaching, like, evening, like, nighttime. So depending on, you know, what time, time, you know, Samaria time they get there, it's been, you know, several hours by this point. And back in the cave, Jack and Tilk are continuing on and Tilk kind of keeps looking over shoulder like he's like hearing something maybe. And Jack's like, like, it's dead. We killed it, right? And so then he asks Tilk what he meant when he said that you don't exist. And so Tilk goes, Unas is believed to have been the first host born of the same primordial waters as the gold. He became a myth, much like your vampire. Which is interesting that Tilk says vampire instead of vampire, because I guess he learned that from movies, because that's the only time I ever hear anybody say the word vampire. It's like in movies and stuff. I like that better than vampire, though. Vampire. Vampire. Yes. Um, and Jack's like, what do you mean he was, he, there, he's a ghouled host? And Tilk's like, there are other species, you know, before humans that were used as hosts. So... This, again, is, like, really cool information, but also completely contradicts everything that was said in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like, 
like the basis of the movie is that the gold race was dying. They came to Earth and took human hosts, so they didn't die. Oh, well, I guess it's show. This is where we are. So we'll just. Well, maybe they were dying because they weren't getting, they weren't locating other species that worked. And this, well, that's this possible. Unas thing wasn't, there either weren't enough of them or it wasn't working out so well. Yeah, that could be. I like that. They weren't pretty enough. (laughs) They want beautiful hosts. But but then that could also explain how in the movie when there's that sort of shot at the end where like Ra's like half a second away from getting blown up and he briefly like looks like the little gray alien Thor. So maybe the ghoul tried to take over the Asgard and that didn't work. So then they came. Oh, oh, did we just solve the problem of why do the ghoul in the movie not look like the ghoul in the show? Ooh, maybe. Did we do it? Did we answer the age-old question that's been around, like, as long as the series has existed? Oh, I think you did it. <gasps> Yay. I'm going to say we did it. That's what <laughs> happened. The Gould in the movie were using the Asgarders' hosts, and the Asgard figured out a way to make that not possible anymore. So they came to Earth and then took humans. Like it. Yay. Ta-da! Cut. Check. Check it off the list. We fixed it. Um, but then there's sort of, like, a little funny thing where Jack's like, that thing's dead though, right? And Tilk's like, yeah, I mean, they, you know, supposedly had, you know, regenerative powers, but those were just, you know, stories that were told to like frighten, you know, young Jaffa children. So the thing's dead. Yeah, sure. It's dead. You, you, you think so? I, I'm certain. Yes. So it's just a myth. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a, a myth that they can regenerate. So... <laughs> I don't know. It's just like a little like funny moment of levity in this, Mm -hmm. you know, episode. That only they can do. Yes. Um, So we cut back to Kendra. She's on the top of a ridge looking around and it seems maybe this is like the next morning. I don't know. The lighting is very different from what it was in the previous scene with them walking through the mountains. So some, some indeterminate amount of time has passed, but I, I always thought it was like the next while. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought this was like the next morning. And Daniel asks if they're lost. And Kendra's like, well, you know, the last time it was like winter and everything was covered in snow. And this seems to just frustrate Sam some more, who like walks away. And Daniel, again, slightly more empathetic to the situation and just like tells Kendra to like take her time, sits down with her. And he asks again about how it felt when the Gould was destroyed. And he basically just wants to know if there's any hope for Share. And Kendra sort of reassures him that even though it was very painful, if she's strong, she will survive. And she also says that while she was in Thor's hammer and the gold, the gold was like getting removed, there seemed to be some sort of battle of wills going on, like inside her mind kind of thing. And that the gold will do anything to survive. And she just has to be stronger than that, which I think Shari is. I'm with Daniel. I think Shari's got enough chutzpah in her that she can make it through this if they get her here. So I did find it interesting that that Daniel was being all very sympathetic of like she's probably, it's probably very traumatic for her to go back. We need to you know we need to chill out. We need to be supportive. Blah blah. blah. And then he keeps asking questions <laughs> about. Oh. Her incredibly traumatic experience. <laughs> That's true. Tell and me again how painful did. it was. I know. Tell me again how it was terrible and awful and and somehow you were trapped in there but you survived and oh but but on her journey we just need to be supportive and sympathetic. 
like, like you were asking exactly the questions she probably does not want to talk about right now. That's uh, cool. But you know, it could it's good for plot information. Yeah. Just just wrong wrongly yeah. though. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh Kendra is now sure of the way, so they continue on. Back in the cave, Jack and Tilgar again walking through some more part of this labyrinth, and we cut back to Unas waking up and basically, like, pulling the bullets out of himself, which also, please note that his blood is, like, a bluish-green color, which, again, is very much a symbol that this is an alien creature. Just in case you weren't sure, it doesn't have red blood, so... There they you just go. didn't have red in stock that day, and they were like, <laughs> nah, it's cool. Um, and he sort of, like, roars very loudly and Jack's like apparently that regeneration thing's not a myth because it looks like that guy's back alive so Sam Daniel and Kendra are walking along an aqueduct and according to Garwin Thor built this a long time ago to bring water down from the mountains to the people and she's like this we're getting close so she's starting to really recognize like where she is and where they are and Kendra walks on but sam kind of like stops daniel to talk to him and she's like this is just taking too long she thinks kendra is either like lost or doesn't really want to show them the way like it shouldn't be taking this long and daniel reminds sam it was hunters that found her and hunters don't travel in a straight line they like follow the prey wherever it goes they just need to trust her and they'll get there so sam's kind of like all right fine and they continue on back in the caves jack's like i think we're lost does this like he's like did we come down this corridor before because you know it's a lab and so there's probably you know multiple turns and dead ends and things and Tilk's like no we're not we haven't been this way before and then unos jumps out and taunts them like aha i can't be killed but i'll show you the way out and jack's like great you got a map and then just like shoots him and down he goes but then he just gets like right back up again and uh, Sam, Daniel, and Kendra approach a hillside, and Kendra points to something, and there's like a Thor's hammer carved into the rock above the cave opening. So they have made it. They have found the cave where Jack and Tilgar. are. So. Yay. Yay. I bet Sam feels like a jerk. Yeah, she should. So Sam asks uh, Kendra like what she remembers about the labyrinth, uh, and she says it was very confusing, and the ghoul, the ghoul just sort of seemed to wander around. But she does remember the bit at the beginning with the message from Thor. And she also kind of references that she's like, I don't think Thor was actually there because he just said the same thing over and over again. Um, because Daniel was like, Thor was in there. And she's like, I, I don't think it was actually Thor. So, But then she also remembered that there seemed to be something else in there with her, but she doesn't know what. So apparently she never encountered Unas directly like Jack and Tilk have. So Daniel tells Kendra that she doesn't have to go in. Like, thanks for showing us here. You know, we got it. If you want to just stay out here, we'll be fine. But then there's another crack of thunder. And Kendra says that Thor asks her to try. So Kendra's going to go in with them and go back into the place of her very traumatic experience. Fantastic. Yes. So inside the cave, Jack and Tilk enter another, like, actual, like, structured chamber with, like, pillars and arches and stuff. And there's an archway that's shaped like Thor's hammer. And Jack walks through and a door opens and Jack peeks through it. And it seems to be the way out. Like it looks like there's light coming in from outside. 
Tilk tries to follow, but he can't. He gets caught in like this very bright beam of light that fills the archway and he's in a very great deal of pain. And then the door closes and he can't move. So Jack just like shoves him back into the cave and out of harm's way. So then there's a growl from behind them and Unas is caught up and Jack's like, we'll face him together and we'll die like warriors. Go, yay. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're going to go, go down fighting. So Kendra like hesitates before she enters the cave, but says she must face her fear and follow Sam and Daniel into the cave. Back inside, Unas approaches and Tilk goes, are you considering the same tactic as I? And Daniel goes, Tilk, the cliche is, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And the answer is yes. I do like when they do this. I know. It's like, no, Tilk, that's, yeah. Well, my favorite is coming up in a future episode. We'll get there. I'll, I'll let you know what it is when we get there. Because I don't remember the exact wording and I don't want to quote it wrong because it's been a while. It's probably uh, the same one as me. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I guess we will. Um so then we basically get like the big Unas villain speech and he's like, once the gold were all as Unas, we were few, but we ruled millions. And he attacks and shoves Jack down. Telk tries to basically use his staff weapon as like, just to like hit him. And he manages to shove Unas off of him and Jack is back up on his feet. Jack and Tilk open fire with their guns. And Sam and Daniel hear this because they're now on like the other side of that door that opened when Jack walked through the archway. And they're trying to find their way in. And Unas is standing like right in front of the Thor's hammer archway as Jack and Tilk just keep like shooting at it. And Sam and Daniel and Kendra are trying to get in from the other side. And Jack and Tilk stop shooting. And somehow Unas, even though he's like riddled with bullets, manages to not fall back into the hammer. He falls forward back into the cave. And Sam and Daniel and Kendra are like, we need to get it. Like, they can't get in. They need to find a way in. But they can't open the door from the outside. And Kendra says there's there's one thing she can try. And she walks over to, like, the sidewall. And there's sort of, like, handprints on the cave. And she puts her hand on two very specific prints that are there. And says, carve the rune flow, read the might, see the rainbow, test the white. And the door opens. And FYI, the, the white in this summoning spell, whatever, is the W-I-G-H-T white, not the color white. And a white is just a, a creature or living sentient being. So test the white, test the ghoul, I guess, possibly. The white. Yes. Um, so just it's not the color white, basically, in case you didn't know. So inside the cave, Unis gathers himself up and like lunges back towards Jack and Tilk again. And Tilk grabs him and just shoves him into the hammer along with his se- along with himself. And Jack yells for Tilk to like get out of there. And Tilk won't. He's just holding Unas there because they need Unas to die so they can leave. And Sam and Daniel and Kendra see this as they've finally gotten the door open. And Jack reaches out and pulls Tilk back into the cave. And eventually. Unis falls out of the beam, but it appears he was in there long enough and the ghoul inside him is dead and the body won't regenerate. So Unas has been defeated and is dead. Oh my. Yes. So Sam, Daniel and Kendra enter the room with Jack and Tilk and Kendra says she now understands why they called Tilk a friend because he almost died killing Unas too. And 
Daniel sort of explains that this, you know, who Kendra is and that she used to be a Gould and that the hammer works. And do you know what this means? But no, they can't because they need to get Tilk out of the cave. And Tilk's like, I'll stay here. It's fine. But Jack's like, no, you're here now. We have no idea where Shara and Scar are. We don't know how long it's going to take to find them and get them here. He's not going to leave Tilk trapped. Daniel kind of like wants to object, but he can't really. And then the very interesting thing is Jack hands Daniel the staff weapon to go outside, shoot the hammer to break it. They didn't even so try to like something. smash through another wall or <laughs> try like any other any other idea whatsoever besides yeah. besides breaking the one thing that those people had that was protecting them from yeah. invading Goulds. I mean, well, like the door seemed very far set, but like it seemed like very far back into the mountain, like that like tunnel was carved way deep into the mountain. So who knows how long it would take to blast through that. But I just think it's very interesting that Jack made Daniel be the one to destroy the thing that can save his wife rather than like Sam, the soldier who would do it, no questions asked, or even like Jack himself, the soldier who would do this thing, no questions asked. He makes Daniel do it. I think he needed to. I mean, if unless if he didn't, he would have just been so pissed at whoever did. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I do think Daniel needed to do it, but... I don't think it's necessarily obviously the first choice. It, it is an interesting development. Yes. But yeah, I, I know it's supposed to be very character development-y thing, but I watched it and I was like, you have just screwed over an entire civilization. I know, it's like they do this without going to like consult anybody. They like don't go try and track down Garwin. They just break the hammer. So Without trying to figure out even how it works or how they yeah. can fix it yeah. or nothing. I know, it's like, could they maybe temporarily disable it so Tilt can go out and then they'll re-enable it so it'll be fine. They just break it. But at least they know that a Gould can be removed from a human host safely, quote-unquote. Like, it's not just permanent. Like, it's not like there's no hope anymore. There is some hope. And maybe if Thor's hammer is here on this planet, maybe there's another Thor's hammer-like device somewhere else on another planet we we might still have hope for Elishare and Skara even though we screwed over the people of Samaria <laughs> even though we need to relocate all of those people uh, yes so Kendra escorts SG-1 back to the gate and now that the hammer is broken she's not sure you know what the people here need to do and Jack's like, well, you know, the ghoul don't know it was destroyed, so... I would have been so pissed. I know. Like, I, I do notice Y'all just be... came here and ruined all our stuff, and now you're going to be like, let's be friends. Well, <laughs> here's yeah. this box with people on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but then she says, you know, to take extra precaution, they'll, like, seal up the cave, uh, you know, the exit to the cave just in case anybody comes through. Because I guess the one question is, so like that Thor's hammer is broken, the one in the cave that removes the ghoul, but is the Thor's hammer at the gate still working? 
Oh, the one that sucks them into the yeah, cave. Yeah, the one that sucks them into the cave. Is that still working? It seems to not be because it doesn't take Tilk again. Because he's like standing right there. So. Well, it seemed to have some sort of technology where it knew who it did and did not scan. Because otherwise it would scan everybody that walks within range of it yeah. all the time. Or is it only triggered like when the Stargate activates? Something. From like, from all, is it able to differentiate like an off world activation and only scans incoming people, possibly? Maybe? Maybe. Because otherwise it would have also scanned all the villagers. That's true. That yeah. were standing there at the time. Okay. So let's say that. Let's say it only activates when there is an incoming wormhole. Otherwise, it doesn't turn on. Mm hmm. So Kendra thanks Sam and Daniel for helping her face her fears. And she hands Daniel a little rune stone to remember them by. And Daniel then remembers the box and goes to get it and gives it to Kendra and tells her that it's for Thor if he or his people ever come back. There's a rumble of thunder. And so Thor is apparently pleased. And SG-1 head back to Earth before it starts raining. The <laughs> end. Ha ha ha. So that was Thor's hammer. Yay. Yay. I like it. This is definitely, again, yeah, definitely one of my favorites from season one because we it expands the Stargate world a whole lot. And I love the Asgard, who we'll get to know more in future episodes. Um, yeah. Sorry, spoilers. Um, it seems like the entirety of season one is just testing the waters of different yeah. directions that they could go in and yeah. see what does and does not work. And so this, this would be testing the waters of introducing other alien races and also the theory of other mythologies on other planets and elsewhere and all that stuff. Yes. Which I like. I like yeah. it so much. This, yeah, this one works for me. And apparently it worked for everybody else because they come back a lot. <laughs> they, took, they took that one and ran with it. They did. So how many memos do you think were generated from this SG-1 mission? <laughs> As we discussed last week. <laughs> when they came back. They came back. <laughs> I forgot about that. I like this point. Okay. What? So what should they not do? They should not. Don't destroy things. Don't destroy the primary defense weapon that other without, planets have. Without at least discussing it with them first. <laughs> They're probably going to have to fill out some paperwork about yeah. the fact that they killed uh, a foreign creature, which they could have studied. Yes. So just one. So just one memo. Don't destroy things. Is that all? <laughs> Don't destroy the primary defense weapon. Of other yes. planets. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess not a lot of memos from this one of yeah. things you shouldn't do. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I think that's probably a high point. Well, I mean, team. half of the team spent the whole adventure in a cave, so not really a lot that you could do there. And the other half was walking through the mountains trying to find them, so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so the episode title, fairly obvious, um, Thor's Hammer, what it is. Um, but I decided to do some digging into Thor's hammer and the mythology of said item. Mjolnir, the name for Thor's hammer, uh, is the hammer of the god Thor in Norse mythology. It's used both as a devastating weapon and a divine instrument to provide blessings, which I don't think I've ever read about it being used as like the blessing. I've only ever seen it as like the weapon. But the hammer is referenced in numerous sources, including an elaborate an 11th century runic Kivinebi amulet and the Poetic Edda, which is a collection of poetry compiled in the 13th century and the Prose Edda, a collection of prose from the 13th century. 
the hammer was commonly worn as a pendant during the Viking Age in Scandinavian culture. And Thor and his hammer are depicted on a variety of objects from the archaeological record. The etymology of the hammer's name is apparently very widely disputed amongst historical linguists. Um, we do know that the Old Norse Mjolnir, spelled slightly different than how we spell Mjolnir, uh, developed from the Proto-Norse Melunyar. Which one is the Marvel version? Uh, M-J-O with an umlaut, L-N-I-R. Mm-hmm. The Old Norse is M-J-O, no umlaut, L-L-N-I-R. So okay. very similar, but slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, so one source connects Mjolnir to the old church Slavonic. Uh, I should have looked up how to pronounce these words because I'm going to butcher them and I'm very sorry. Mlunuji, M-L-U-N-U-J-I, Mlunuji, and the Russian Molnija, meaning lightning, which was the Russian word may have been borrowed from a Slavic source or they both stemmed from like the same common source, which subsequently makes Mjolnir to mean lightning maker. Another proposal connects Mjolnir to the Old Norse Mjol, meaning new snow, and the modern Icelandic Mjali, meaning the color white, meaning Mjolnir would then mean shining lightning weapon. And then finally, there's another proposal that connects the Old Norse Mjolnir to the Old Norse word mala, M-A-L-A, meaning to grind, and the Gothic word malwajin, meaning to grind, which would result in Mjolnir, meaning the grinder. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with lightning. No, it doesn't. So I'm going to go with this sl- the, the Slavic and Russian, possibly, lightning maker. Yeah. Or, yeah, shining lightning weapon. One of those two. Yeah, shining like shining lightning weapon makes more sense for the episode if they get yeah. scanned. Yes. Through the Thor's hammer. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. hey, so I looked up an interesting fact on IMDb about this episode. Okay, please, please share with us. That it says the DVD episode order differs somewhat from the broadcast yeah. order, which I yeah. didn't remember. Yeah, the this, for some reason the, like. The, the first half of season one is completely out of order on the DVDs. Like, it's yeah. really weird. It says this was the ninth episode broadcast, but mm-hmm. episode eight, volume two of the yes. box set. Yeah. But I guess it doesn't really matter because in the first season, not a lot of the, not a lot of the episodes really relate to each other all that much, except for when they bring in the let's go find Shara and Skara. Yeah. Storylines. Yeah. But okay. yeah, for, yeah, for some reason, the season one DVDs are like really weird and out of order. And I, I never understand why they do that or why shows like are written in a specific order and then they get aired out of order and then people are confused and don't like it. So they stop watching it. It's like, well, gee, I wonder why, because you completely messed up the storyline looking at you yeah. almost human. And Firefly. And Firefly. And Leverage. Leverage season one aired out of order. It did. Yes. Oh, I do not remember yeah. that. That one, that one, it didn't matter as much in that one, and it wasn't, like, awful, but, yeah, season one Leverage aired out of order. The DVDs are in the correct order, so if you have the DVDs of Leverage, those are in the right order, but the original airing order on TNT was messed up. So if anyone is ever listening to this that has anything to do with when things air, please put them in the right order so people don't get confused. 
Yes. And they will like and keep watching your show. Yes. Hashtag ratings. <laughs> uh, All I have to say about that. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, any final thoughts on Thor's hammer? Nope. None whatsoever. I think I got it all out. Okay. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or email us at woo. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please on Apple podcasts. so more people can find us and we will see you next week for the torment of Tantalus. Bye. Bye.